2: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins.
0: Hey, Breaking Beauty Pod fam. Hello, Jill. Hey, Carlene. So today's episode is a bit of a glow down, which is where we tap experts in the industry and unpack a topic. And because Mm -hmm. it is Earth Month, we decided what better time to dive into the topic of cruelty-free beauty, something that we've been wanting to do for quite some time. That's right. And to be honest, it's a complex conversation.
1: Things aren't always exactly what they seem. It's not black and white. So we wanted to make sure that we had the exact right people in place that we knew would be able to help us to put together a 101 Guide to Cruelty-Free Beauty for anyone who's curious about
0: the topic. Exactly, and I just love that there's so many more choices in the beauty scape, so I'm excited to learn more about cruelty-free. So, we put together a mini panel and we're excited to welcome our guests Dr. Carol Treasure. She is a UK-based scientist and Susanna Rose, and she's the founder of the go-to blog on the topic cruelty-free kitty. Dr. Carol Treasure is the founder
1: and CEO of Accelerate. It's spelled X-C-E-L-R-8. It's an ethical testing lab devoted to 100% animal-free testing for leading cosmetic companies and ingredient suppliers. She's devoted her career to using innovative science to replace animal testing over the past 25 years.
0: And Susanna Rose, she started her website, Cruelty Free Kitty, back in 2014. And today, the website Website gets more than 600,000 monthly page views, and she's been featured in Birdie, Refinery 29, and on the BBC. Her main mission is to vet beauty brands and ask them the right questions to determine their animal testing policy. So, readers have come to trust Susanna's site to find brands that are not only cruelty free, but also vegan, sustainable, and she even indicates on her site which. Brands still test on animals. And we will, of course,
1: link to those lists at
0: breakingbeautypodcast.com.
1: So let's get into it. In today's chat, we're covering the fundamentals of what really constitutes cruelty free beauty and what alternatives to animal testing are currently available. They're going to give us some practical tips, like which labels to trust to know for sure if a product is cruelty-free when you're shopping. And we'll unpack the latest headlines you may have seen around the internet about China's animal testing laws coming into place on May 1st.
0: So stay tuned to the end as well, because we asked them what their favorite cruelty-free products that they're using and loving at the moment. You may want to add those to your top shelf. So here we go. The Complete 101 Guide to Cruelty-Free Beauty Just Ahead.
1: Welcome to Breaking Beauty Podcast, Susanna and Dr. Treasure. First of all, let's start with the absolute 101 of what is cruelty-free beauty and what does it mean to you? So thank you for
2: having me. First of all, the term cruelty-free can be confusing to a lot of people, I think, because you could mm-hmm. assume that it means that something is free from cruelty. However, it's very specific. It's free from animal cruelty and specifically animal testing. So cruelty-free essentially just means not tested on
1: animals. Are you making the distinction between human cruelty or exploitation versus animal? Is that what you mean? Exactly. I think we're starting to be Mm -hmm. more
2: aware of other kinds of cruelty Mm -hmm. in the beauty industry and also something like Mm -hmm. animal ingredients not considered when we're talking about
0: cruelty-free beauty. Yes. I just think the beauty consumer in particular, certainly our audience, there's just way more consciousness around Mm -hmm. everything that we're consuming. And that goes for beauty products, food, housing, everything. So I think that's a point point well made. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about what the difference is between cruelty-free cosmetics and vegan beauty, because I think people confuse the two. Susanna, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Quite simply put, cruelty free only refers to animal testing, mm-hmm. whereas vegan means that something does not contain animal derived ingredients. Mm. There's a lot of confusion. Yeah. I I know a lot of people assume that cruelty free means vegan and vegan means cruelty free, mm-hmm. but the two are actually really different. And something can be cruelty free and not vegan, and just the same, something can be vegan and tested on animals. And I think it's really important mm-hmm. to know that some companies uh, classify their products as vegan, but the company tests on animals. Right. And that's perfectly
1: technically, it's true. Right. I think that's a great point. And I guess along the lines of that, I have to ask, and I'm I'm a noob in this space. And that's part of the reason we wanted to chat with you today, is that there's two common skincare ingredients. They're often the difference between vegan or not. As beauty editors, we see this all the time that brands suddenly become vegan. And it's because they've taken out these two ingredients. And I'm talking about beeswax and lanolin. And what I would like to know is from a cruelty-free perspective, are these ingredients problematic? So not talking about animal testing, but is it cruel to animals to harvest beeswax and lanolin?
3: For me, really, not all sources of those ingredients are equal. And it's all about the due diligence and the transparency of the different sources and understanding that we have consumers with a whole range of perspectives and ideas on these issues. And so sharing that information in a transparent way so that people can make up their own minds. And I think that Lush are a really good example here because Mm -hmm. they use lanolin, as they've been a very outspoken company about animal welfare issues for a long time. But they only use lanolin that is sourced in New Zealand. Now, New Zealand have extremely high standards which are legally enforced when it comes to looking mm-hmm. after those animals on the farm. And they will use lanolin from sheep that have full traceability, full access to open pastures, shelter, water, water. And you can see right there exactly how those Mm -hmm. sheep have been living. And it's the same with the beeswax, supporting supporting cultures in Africa who are looking after the environment that the bees live in and actually um, contributing to their conservation and harvesting both honey and beeswax in a sustainable way. So I think that if that information is shared openly with consumers, then they can decide Whether they feel that's acceptable or not. And some people Mm -hmm. feel it's okay, some won't. Mm
0: -hmm. And lanolin, just to clarify, that is a byproduct from when they shear the sheep, it's the oil left behind.
3: It's the grease that sheep produce it naturally within their fleece to protect them from the extreme weather. So it helps to keep them warm. It helps to keep the fleece in good condition. And so that lanolin is an extremely good product in cosmetics for moisturizing and skin protective properties. Mm
1: -hmm. And I know it's been used in hospitals as well. Like it has actual medical benefits to it. And I know mothers have used like nursing mothers on cracked nipples because it's safe for babies to to suckle with that as opposed to something else that you might be putting on. So that, that was my question. I think that's a great, a great answer. It's just, it's not black and white, is it? No.
0: And now a quick pause to hear about an offer from one of our show partners, Sakara. When I think about eating well, two things can derail me so easily, and that's being bored with what I have to eat and restrictions on what I can't eat. But that's what I think is so genius about Saqqara and their approach. They offer healthy, chef-crafted, plant-rich, breakfast, lunch, and dinner options with menus that change every single week. So you're never bored. So instead of imposing restrictions and limits, Sakara really believes in giving you more of what's good for you. And on top of all of that, it's delivered right to your front door anywhere in the US. So take for example, I'm looking at the Sakara Instagram right now and I've just scrolled past this sweet potato and avocado ceviche dish and it's entirely plant based. Honestly, it looks like something I would eat beside a beach somewhere on vacation. So I am totally vibing with that. And along with delicious plant rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to help support your nutrition. And they have their metabolism super powder, And that's made with organic raw cacao. It works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings and reduce fatigue. That's something perfect to have at like that 3 p.m. slump. And right now Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sacara.com slash beauty or enter code beauty at checkout. That's sakara s a k a r a dot com slash beauty to get twenty percent off your first order. com slash beauty. We'll link to that offer in our show notes and on our blog. Now back to today's chat.
2: Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando and I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday.
1: So for our next question, it's not uncommon to see a headline these days, as we were talking about companies committed to going cruelty-free by such and such a date. And somebody in our Facebook chat room pointed out, you might think, weren't they cruelty-free already? So there's a lot to unpack, but just taking a step back in beauty history, like why did animal testing start to happen to begin with? Do you have any perspective on that? Like when that was and why?
3: It started originally back in the 1930s when people were really starting to use cosmetics more and I think there were some instances of people actually burning their uh, corneas in their eyes and going blind Mm. after using mascara, which actually prompted the Food, Drug and, and Cosmetics Act where cosmetics were much more tightly regulated. And then in the 1940s, some of the original animal tests were developed and to test things like skin and eye irritation using the rabbits. And they're the famous Dray's tests that probably a lot of people have heard of. And I think it's fascinating and very disturbing that 77 years after those tests were developed, if you consider all of the scientific progress that's happened along the way and the cultural developments in our society... That 80% of countries around the world still allow cosmetics to be tested mm. using that drays test. And the Humane Society have actually just released a, a video about it, which I really recommend watching. It's quite impactful. So I think what's happening now is we've got this sector of, of the scientific community that's stuck in history, they're stuck in the past, and now it's really mm. time to bring the science forward. So a lot of it's now tradition, a lot of it is the Um, fact that companies have so much historical data using animal tests, that's their comfort zone. But I have to say, and I'm sure we'll come on to discuss this, that the majority of companies are moving away from that towards the alternatives now.
2: I also want to point out that in the United States, animal testing isn't mandatory. However, companies can use animal testing Mm -hmm. to test cosmetics. Mm
1: -hmm. And I guess that's the question and what you were getting at. Dr. Treasure is it cheaper like why it just seems so like why would people do animal testing in this day and age if you didn't have to particularly because it is such bad press if for no other reason maybe you don't really care but like why would you do it knowing the consumer demand right now and how bad it looks
3: I think that actually very few companies actually want to do animal testing or are doing animal testing on cosmetics And it's interesting, sometimes I give talks to um, groups of consumers here in the UK and so many people don't realise that there's actually been a ban on animal testing for cosmetics across the whole of Europe since 2013. And as Susanna pointed out, in the US, even though they can test on animals, they don't tend to. So actually, I think the industry does itself a disservice by not being more transparent and sharing that positive information about what they are doing to test cosmetic and I, but i do think that it's not about cost it's about the fact that accreditation with the leaping bunny or some of the other schemes is incredibly tough to achieve companies have to go through a huge amount of due diligence to get really detailed information from all of their ingredient suppliers And sometimes they might hit a block that's incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult to overcome. And that one thing means that they can't get the Leaping Bunny accreditation, for example. And then the, the news comes out, oh, this company is no longer cruelty free. And actually, I think it's much more complex than that because there are some companies, for example, who just go through a tick box exercise to get the logo And yet cruelty-free is not really embedded into their culture and their values. Mm -hmm. There are other companies who don't have the logo and are widely criticised as not being cruelty-free, but they're ploughing millions of dollars every year into the development of scientifically advanced new methods Mm -hmm. so that they're not testing on animals, but because they don't have the logo, they get the criticism. So I think when we hear this news that, oh, this company isn't cruelty-free anymore, we need to really go beneath the surface and try to understand why that is, and and what is their culture. What are their are they really committed to cruelty free? But they've hit a block in the road, or is it that they've genuinely done some animal testing, which is an extremely mm. rare incident, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Just to illustrate how hard it is for a big brand to get Leaping Bunny certification, Garnier recently became cruelty free, and it took over mm. two years. To go through the whole process, they had to audit over, I believe it was three thousand suppliers. Wow, which is insane. Wow,
0: and and that's Garnier. They have the resources to do that, you know. So, is it easier? Are you
1: saying for a small company to get leaping bunny? Because you do see a lot of indie brands. So, is it easier for them just yeah. because their yes supply chain is probably maybe more simplistic? Yes, they're smaller. They probably only have. Mm -hmm.
2: one supplier, maybe two Mm -hmm. suppliers. So it it doesn't take nearly as long and they don't have as Mm -hmm. many products. Garnier Mm -hmm. has as skincare, hair care, hair dye. So it takes Mm -hmm. a lot longer.
3: I think it's also important to consider that some of the very small companies that talk about the fact that they don't test on animals and may have the leaping bunny. Unfortunately, sometimes that can mean that there's very little testing being done at all. And and just because a product's not tested on animals doesn't mean that consumers don't still want it to be tested somehow and to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the bigger companies, they are facing a different kind of challenge.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And so, Dr. Treasure, I know that for the types of testing that you're doing, can you tell us a little bit about the alternative methods? Because I know you're pioneering in this field where you're looking at advancing the science. So we can make sure that animal testing is part of the past?
3: Well, some of the methods that we are using are, are being used by other labs around the world now as well and are straight replacements for the DRES rabbit skin and eye tests. But they're using up-to-date technology that was originally developed for tissue engineering purposes in the medical arena. So we can actually reconstruct human skin in the lab. Equally, we can reconstruct a human cornea which has all the same layers. Biologically, if you compared it to a real piece of skin or a real eye, it would look very much the same. Wow! And we can actually apply cosmetic ingredients or products to the surface of those tissue engineered pieces of skin and eye and measure the effects on the cells. So we're able to measure the damage to the cells over time and therefore make a prediction on whether we would expect that ingredient or product to be an irritant Mm. to the the skin or the eye. And then there's other kind of systems that we're using, using different types of human cells to look, for example, at potential of ingredients to cause cancer if they were absorbed across the skin or into the skin. Acute toxicity, which is uh, very short-term effects if something gets um, absorbed into the body. And skin allergy is very important as well. So we're able to test for all of these things using human cells and reconstructed tissues. I just wanted to add that what we do at Accelerate is really setting us out as the vegan testing lab, because what we do uniquely is to eradicate all of the animal-derived components from the tests. And I think it's really important, um, just thinking back to what we discussed a few minutes ago, to acknowledge that vegan products also need to be tested in a vegan way, because if you have a vegan product, but you've tested it using a test that has animal derived components in there, that's not compatible with that vegan philosophy. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is not only move away from animal testing, but move away from using any animal components in the test mm-hmm. at all.
1: So you study ingredient toxicity as well? How it impacts absorption in the skin. Okay, we're definitely having you back on the show for another episode. Yes. Just like footnote, <laughs> we'll have you back. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other thing. We're co- we'll come back to that another day. <laughs> And now a pause from one of today's show partners, Modern Fertility. So I want to tell you about the next frontier in all of the cool stuff you can do at home during the pandemic, without having to go anywhere. It's called Modern Fertility, and it's basically a simple finger prick that can unlock tons of insight into your reproductive health, whether or not kids are in your future. You can find out about egg count, how far away you are from menopause, which is something I want to know. If your hormone levels indicate conditions like thyroid disorders or PCOS, these are so helpful to know and not really what you typically get out of an annual checkup these days. Am I right? Right. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the surprisingly easy and shockingly affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. You mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same Information. Also, if you have HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on modern fertility. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can talk one on one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. I love this idea of being proactive about our health rather than waiting for something to happen. Mind-blowing, I know. If you do want to have kids today or maybe one day in the future, this kind of information can help you make the right decision at the right time. Love it. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners based in the U.S. $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. That means your test will cost $139 instead of hundreds or even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. We'll link to that offer on our blog and in our show notes. Modernfertility.com slash breaking beauty. Cruelty-free beauty, I feel like you cannot have this conversation without talking about the influence of China. And of course, they're trending to become the biggest beauty market by 2023. Apparently, China's beauty industry is worth $38.6 billion Um, the second largest in the world behind the US, which is 56 billion currently. And a lot of legacy brands really rely on the market in China, like Estee Lauder and YSL to help to fuel their continued growth. So perhaps you could just explain again, this is the new, the newbies guide to cruelty-free beauty. What is the relationship between selling in China and cruelty-free beauty? How are they connected?
2: So you talked about the numbers. It's obvious why companies want to sell in China. So there's been developments recently. The situation in China has been evolving, I would say, since 2014. Mm-hmm. 2014 is when they started allowing companies who manufacture locally to not have to test their products on animals in order to sell in China. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, recently, they announced that starting in 2021, they're going to allow companies who do not manufacture in China to be able to bypass pre-market animal testing if they follow certain steps. These would be companies like, for example, Fenty Beauty, who currently only sell in China online. Mm -hmm. So right now, the situation is evolving. But right now, are companies able to sell in China while being cruelty-free?
1: No. And just before I could ask you to elaborate on that, but just to be clear, so there has been overarching legislation, I guess you would call it, that you could not import products into China that have not been animal tested, that are sold on shelves in stores, right? And then there was that workaround that if you produced it in China, you did not have to do animal testing. Is that right, Susanna?
2: Exactly. So this is only about products that are going to be Mm -hmm. sold in China. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be able to bypass pre-market animal testing if you're a company that manufactures outside of China as well, starting in
1: May 2021. So this sounds like it could be great news, but I'm sensing a but here, Susanna.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So the only big issue that remains right now is post-market animal testing. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of that?
1: Yes, I read about it on your site, but perhaps you could elaborate on that. So
2: post-market animal testing essentially just means that in China, they are able to pull the products from the shelves right now if there's a consumer complaint. So for example, somebody gets a rash from a product, the government is able to say, okay, let's pull these products and have them tested. And right now, Animal testing is listed as a possibility for post-market testing. Mm -hmm. However, it has not been used in two or three years, according to what I know. Okay. I'm basically waiting for the confirmation that it's no longer going to be on paper to be able Mm -hmm. to say brands are 100% percent cruelty free
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Because I know you're very strict with your lists. You have lists on your website, and we're going to link to them on our blog of brands that are cruelty-free and brands that are not here vetting them. Mm-hmm. So you would not include any brand that sells in China regardless of whether they were produced locally or imported or what because of that post sorry how did you phrase it the post market yeah post market post market possibility potential for testing.
2: Yeah, the reason is simply because it's a possibility. And mm-hmm. as a cruelty-free consumer you don't want to take the risk of knowing that the products you're using were tested on animals.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. Good to know. So I feel like it's really common that you'll see brands that will be cruelty-free and then all of a sudden they're not. So NARS, for instance, people were very upset about that news. And more recently you put on, I noticed on your Instagram that you said Charlotte Tilbury is no longer considered cruelty-free. And I think that would surprise a lot of people because they seem to be committed to cruelty-free and then all of a sudden they're not. So why does this turn of event happen? I assume it's tied into what you were just talking about.
2: Yes, it is. With Charles Tilbury, it's a really unique situation. What they did is they partnered with a company in China and they had a pop-up shop, which means that they weren't selling products, but people could come in, try the products, and then order them online. However, they had samples and they had products in the back. And that means that the products could potentially be tested. Although the risk is really
1: small, it's there. Okay. So you have very strict standards it may be different for other websites or people who are vetting i'm imagining you just have a zero risk policy kind of a thing exactly okay and dr treasure i don't know you may maybe you've seen differently in the industry
3: i guess from our perspective as a, a testing lab working with companies we we often see their side of the story as well and i know how difficult it can be to maintain these accreditations with all of their ingredients. And in terms of companies being cruelty-free, and then suddenly it seems like they're not, I think a new challenge could have come up. Mm -hmm. Also, we have now organisations, trade organisations like the CTPA in the UK, they would say that really, all companies selling all products in Europe are all cruelty-free because we have the ban. And so therefore, it's not even fair to say that you're cruelty-free in the first place. (laughs) So where that kind of links back round to other regions of the world as well, they're saying that they really don't like these kind of accreditations because they think that brands who say not tested on animals are implying that all of the other companies do it. Whereas actually they, they don't and they just don't shout about it as much. Maybe they're mm-hmm. aiming for a different demographic with their products. So I think there's all kinds of reasons why companies can be out there as cruelty free, whether it's linked to China or something else. And then all of mm-hmm. a sudden they're, they're not. But I think that we have to try and delve below the surface, as I said earlier. <laughs>
0: Jumping in to share a word from one of our show partners, Nutrafol. Hair loss is one of those topics in the beauty industry that's just so prevalent, but often it's not discussed openly, but nearly 30 million women are impacted by weak or thinning hair. And that's why we're so happy to partner with Nutrafol and share a solution that can deliver results and help you restore confidence too, because there's nothing better than a great hair day. So Nutrafol is a 100% drug-free daily supplement that helps to support healthy hair growth from within. And it targets those root causes of thinning. So stress, Hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. Nutrifol has two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. I take Nutrifol women and I find it helps to minimize that hair shedding situation. And they say it's ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair because of stress, diet, overstyling, or from the environment. And they also have Women's Balance, and that's formulated to have additional hormonal support for the with thinning hair through menopause. So you can go on their website and take the quiz to figure out which one is suitable for you. Healthier hair growth takes time. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. So we have a great offer just for Breaking Beauty listeners. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Breaking to save 20% off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to US customers for a limited time. Plus there's free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com and use the promo code Breaking. We'll link to that offer in our show notes and on our blog. Now back to today's chat. And another loophole that we'd like to get your take on is that it seems that Many brands claim to be cruelty-free, but they're using ingredients that were once tested on animals and cleared, like somewhere back in the supply chain. So maybe they were sourcing it within the parent company when a smaller brand is acquired by a big behemoth that at some point tested these ingredients on animals. So is that true? And can you give an example of a brand who has done that? but they're saying they're cruelty-free?
2: So a lot of brands have used ingredients that were once tested on animals. In the cruelty-free world, we have what is called the cutoff date, which basically means that a brand is cruelty-free if they stopped testing on animals after a certain date. Okay. What's important is not having any new animal testing, even though historically we can't go and change the past. So going forward, Mm -hmm. they commit to not testing on animals okay
3: I completely agree with that there are virtually no cosmetic ingredients in the world that have not been tested on animals at some point in the past Mm -hmm. if they've been around for more than 15 or 20 years certainly and probably a lot more recently than that And if we were to say that brands can never use any of those ingredients, we simply wouldn't have any cosmetic ingredients to use. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wouldn't be a cosmetics industry. So totally agree with Susanna. We need to just say that's a cutoff. And that cutoff, by the way, can be different for different companies within the Leaping Bunny program. They agree a cutoff date with Cruelty Free International when they're going through their audit process. So I think it's just encouraging brands to say, okay, whatever's in the past is in the past. Let's move forward now and not do any new animal testing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how reliable, again, going back in that supply chain, like the raw ingredient suppliers, how reliable is that information, whether it's cruelty free or not? Because you can imagine as a smaller indie brand coming up, that you might want to be cruelty-free and you're sourcing these ingredients and maybe you're working with a supplier and they say, oh yeah, we're cruelty-free. And you see this kind of thing happen, again, when it comes to human cruelty with ingredients like palm oil or what have you, where there's a break in that chain where the parent company might say, we have zero tolerance, but out there in the world, there's shady stuff going on. So I'm just wondering in this conversation, like who should ultimately be accountable? Is it the brand? Is it the raw ingredient supplier? Like how is this going down?
3: I think every link in the chain is accountable to some extent and they all need to work together. Suppliers are accountable. Brands are accountable to consumers. They're all accountable to their internal teams, their stakeholders. And I think that clearly it's wrong for suppliers to be hiding behind the brands because they're not in the front line with Mm -hmm. the public buying the products. So the brands really need to hold those suppliers to account. But really I think if they're working with suppliers Mm -hmm. who are a good fit for them ethically, everyone's got to work together and not pass the responsibility on to the other players.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I suppose that's what those certifications are meant to be for is to try to tick those boxes all the way through. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if we're talking about Leaping Bunny certification, it goes all the way to the suppliers and the suppliers have to provide the documentation as well.
0: Suzanne, I wanted to talk about just consumers going into a store and trying to assess these things that are quite complex and trying to make what they think is the right choice on the store shelf. So what's the simplest way to know if a product is truly 100% cruelty-free? Is it the leaping bunny on the label? Is it PETA? Like which logos or indicators are legitimate? And on the flip side, are there ones that are like a sham a bit or that you should avoid? And who has these definitive guidelines that what constitutes cruelty-free?
2: So the easiest way of knowing that our product is truly cruelty-free would be looking for the Leaping Bunny logo. Unfortunately, not that many brands that you're going to find in stores are Leaping Bunny certified. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you could simply look it up online or looking it up online is really Mm -hmm. the best thing to do because I don't think many people want to reach out to the company themselves for Mm -hmm. every company. And this is what I do is that We reach out to the companies and we ask them a set of questions and we make sure that they answer everything and they're able to provide the right answers. In terms of logos, I would definitely say that Leaping Bunny is the one to look for. You may see a lot of
1: random bunnies on the packaging. I have started to see that. It's just a bunny. (laughs) It's just a bunny. Not the Leaping Bunny TM. Spam bunnies. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just a bunny and it may say cruelty free or not, tested on animals. Mm -hmm. This is unfortunately not reliable. It's not an official Mm -hmm. logo. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about, are there any other scam ones or aside from just having a random bunny that you've seen or turns of phrases?
2: Some companies actually use logos illegally. So this is something Mm. to look out for. I've seen, for example, fake PETA logos specifically. In that case, it's really important to go online and make sure that the brands are really on PETA's
1: website.
0: Mm, Okay cross-referencing. You got to do your homework. because is what I'm
1: hearing. So this is the moment we've all been waiting for what is most timely right now. And you touched on this earlier, Susanna. So the Chinese government revised its cosmetic supervision and regulation. So they're now waiving the mandatory animal testing for all imported and locally manufactured cosmetics effective May 1st. Susanna, you touched on this earlier. I don't know, Dr. Treasure, if you have anything else to add, does that mean from your perspective that any brand's sold in China would be considered cruelty free from your point of view.
3: But I think there's still some some barriers to overcome. And I think as Susanna said, we can't make any cruelty free assumptions because of the post market testing issue. So we're always going to loop back around to that at, at some point. But I think mm-hmm. in terms of the the ordinary cosmetics, the new declaration that that has been made recently, it's now down to individual countries to create their own agreement with China to provide companies with what is called a certificate of conformity for the products. So even though China has said that European companies can import their products without mandatory animal testing, France, for example, was the first one to hit the news recently because they had really got their act together with their extensive cosmetics industry that they have there in France um, to make sure that French companies are getting the documentation that they need from the French government so that they can then go into China with their products. But every country needs to do the same. So I think it's going to take a while for those benefits to filter through. And so
0: just before we get into our final questions, our listeners, they love recommendations, they love products, and they like hearing about new things and new discoveries. So I'd like to get from each of you, maybe something that's on your top shelf that's exciting you right now. Maybe it's a brand we've not heard of. Susanna, maybe you can go first, whether it's a makeup product or hair or skin. What are you loving? Uh,
2: so I'm going to recommend a brand as a whole, and that brand is Pacifica. Okay. They're not only cruelty-free, but also 100% vegan. And they're available in drugstores. They make so many different products. I like their mineral
1: sunscreen. Okay, great. Dr. Treasure, what's on your top shelf that's cruelty-free and fabulous?
4: I probably don't have the same product knowledge as as Susanna. I'd say one thing that I'm enjoying, as you said, a product that's a good save as well and good value, is that I've just recently been given a freebie of the Body Shop's Vitamin E Moisture Cream. And I thought that was really interesting because it actually goes back to the 1970s. -hmm. Then it was one of the original body shop products uh, when Anita Roddick started the body shop. But now it's been. Yeah, it is a real trailblazer, but it's been updated now with hyaluronic acid and uh, raspberry extract for antioxidant activity. And I ran out of some more expensive products that I was using. And so I reached for this uh, freebie that I'd been given. And I was really surprised how nice and fresh and calming and soothing it felt on my skin. I've just been using that and really enjoying that actually on the face and the neck. It's just one of those creams that makes your skin feel nice and cool. So yeah, it's back to an old favourite, I think.
0: I love it. Yeah. You want to talk about people who have been making cruelty-free a priority since day one and fair trade. That's definitely the body shop is right up there. So it's great to give them a little love.
1: So we've covered a lot in today's episode and Dr. Treasure, I wonder if there's anything that we may have missed that a beginner to the cruelty-free beauty conversation should know or some practical tips for how they might shop or anything we might have missed today.
4: I think that it's important for consumers also to not feel intimidated by a whole switch to cruelty free when we look around the number of products that we have in our homes cosmetics and and even other kind of products it might seem overwhelming and if you don't know where to start then sometimes you don't start at all so I would say that the same principle applies here as if we were if someone's thinking about moving to a vegan diet or buying ethical fashion, every single small step counts and you don't have to completely Mm -hmm. restock your bathroom with everything in one go. But just to make that commitment to go on that journey towards cruelty free, I think that's really important not to feel intimidated by the whole thing and and just start somewhere.
1: That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Love it. And our final question, you've both been part of this movement for a long time. How far do you think the cosmetic industry has really come? And what do you predict will happen next in this conversation in order to get to that finish line?
4: I think we've come a very long way. I've been working in this area for about 30 years and seeing the progress in technology as well as in attitudes and regulations, has been amazing. And I think as a young scientist, I would have been really inspired to know that that this is where we are in 2021. I think that what we're seeing now, which I think is going to evolve more in the future, is a collaboration between all of the major companies. We now have something called the Animal Free Safety Assessment Collaboration, And there we have some of the biggest cosmetic companies in the world taking on these issues as a united voice and calling for a global ban on animal testing for cosmetics. And I think that's amazing that they're all working together as a united front. And we have the European Union calling for a global ban. We had the Forever Against Animal Testing campaign a couple of years back with the body shop, which we supported calling for a global ban and taking 8 million signatures to the United Nations. I think all of that is building significant momentum and exposure for this topic. And I do think that there will be a global ban within the next five to 10 years, surely. Because we have the science Mm. now. 77 years ago when they created those DRAZE tests, Mm -hmm. it was tragic and I don't think it has ever been justifiable for cosmetics. However, they didn't have anything else to use. Mm -hmm. Now we have significantly advanced science that is better in terms of protecting human safety. So I think we know we have the science, we know we can do it, We just need a bit more investment, a bit more collaboration, and for the public to not stop asking for what they want, because ultimately those individual consumers hold all the power. They're the ones who are buying the products. They're the ones who need to be saying to companies, we want cruelty-free, and then that in turn is what pushes the regulations in response to public pressure, and then industry have to fall into line. So you have this constant circle And I guess my parting thought would be just that I I would like people to know that what they do does make a difference. It does count. and, And please make your voice heard.